We're going to turn in our Bibles to Matthew chapter 4, and we're going to read Matthew chapter 4. We're going to read from the verse 17. From that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent! For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent! For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Amen. And we know God will bless the reading of his word. Let's unite in prayer. Our heavenly Father, we want to thank you for all that you are doing by your gracious Holy Spirit in people's lives in these days. We want to thank you, Lord, for the plans that you have for the land of Northern Ireland and for the Republic. I want to thank you, Lord, that you promised and covenanted to your, to your servant, Lord Duncan Campbell, that there would be riots and then would come revival. And we thank you that revival is coming to Ireland. We thank you, Lord, that you're going to do significant and powerful things in this country. And Lord, we pray tonight that something of this meeting, Lord, would be a contribution to the great ingathering that's coming. We pray, Lord, that you would put your hand upon people's lives. We pray for your own people and for the unsaved. And we ask, Lord, for the beginning of the gathering in of a harvest, the bringing in of a great number to the kingdom. And so, Lord, I give myself afresh to you. I pray that you will cleanse and sanctify me. And I ask for the oil of the Holy Spirit. And I pray, Lord, that you will pour the oil out now and that the fire of heaven would break through upon us, Lord, and upon this congregation. And that, Lord, we would know that God is here. Yes. We take authority again over every power and every activity of the enemy in the heavens in Jesus' name. We thank you, Lord, that truly there is more of us Amen. than be with them that we are on the winning side. And so we pray, Lord, that we might know much of your help and much of your speaking voice and much of the power of your Spirit working. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. We should always be interested in the words of Jesus. And what we find fascinating about when Jesus appeared on earth and began his ministry these were the words that the Lord spoke. As he appeared into a religious environment, into an old docile religion that was full of pride, where men knew the scriptures but did not know God, into such an environment where religion reigned and where people were all taken with rules and you do this and you don't do that. That's what it was all like. And Jesus, the Son of God, came into that environment that was so religious. And the first word from his lips was not well done. It was repent. 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 
turn. Turn. Why should we turn? Because something has happened. The kingdom of God has come. You say, well, Alan, I've heard about that and I've heard bits, you know, about the kingdom of God, but I don't really understand that. And it's, it's understandable why many people wouldn't understand this because we as people have no concept of kingdoms. There are no kingdoms. There's very few kings in the world today. There's just a few. A true king is an, what we call an absolute monarch. Now, our present queen, she reigns, but she does not rule. The government rules. She's a figurehead. She has no power. She's not a real monarch in a biblical sense. The United Kingdom is not a real kingdom because we have only a constitutional monarch. So for us to comprehend what Jesus meant, it would be easier for us to say that not so much that the kingdom has come, but to say that the government of God has come. That's what Jesus was saying for our culture today. He would say there's a new government has come, and it's the government of God. It's God's rule. Not religious rule, not Pharisee rule, not Sadducee rule, but God's rule. And so when Jesus came, he brought the government of God with him. He brought the rules of government. He brought the laws of government. And he implemented them and he taught them to all who would listen. The rules of that kingdom are so different to every other kingdom. For example, he said, when, when men curse you, he said, bless them. He said, come in the opposite spirit. It's one of the rules of the kingdom. Jesus' laws and rules were so contrary to human nature. But he said, if you implement the government of God, if you implement the rules of God, if you bring them into your life and into a society, you will have the reign of God. You will have the power of God. You will have the demonstration of God in that community or in that life. What happens in revival is that the kingdom of God or the rule of God or the government of God begins to break out in a community. That's what happens in a revival. God appears. You know, my friends, God wants his kingdom in your life and in mine. Probably one of the first prayers I ever prayed, although I don't remember it, but been brought up at my mother's knee in a typical Presbyterian home where the gospel was not preached at that time in that church. Nevertheless, I was brought up to say a prayer, Thy kingdom come. The rule and the government of God come. I didn't know what I was praying, but that's what I said. But friends, you know, the Lord Jesus later on in Matthew chapter 6, he said these words to the believers, the follow, his followers. 
He said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and everything you need in life will be added to you. He said, make the government of God first in your life. You know why the church is in such a state today? You know why men are not praying today? You know why people have no desire to pray and yet they say they're born again and they love the Lord apparently? Never see them in a prayer meeting. Never see them seeking God. Never see a tear in their eye. Never hear of a concern for the lost. You know why that is? Because they do not seek first the kingdom of God. That's why. You see, friends, the Bible says you have to seek first the kingdom. Very often I have people come to my home and they have deep difficulties and problems and complications, addictions, different things happening in their lives. And I don't begin just to pray with them about their addiction. But what I always do is I begin to take them through the concept of the kingdom. I begin to say to them, are you prepared to make God first in your life? Are you prepared to repent for all known sin in your life? Are you prepared to radically change? Are you prepared to make God priority in your life? And some of them, you know, you can tell whether they really get it or not. There's some of them don't get it because they're not prepared to change. They're not prepared for the hassle or the inconvenience of giving up their way of life so that God can be first. And let me tell you, this is a huge problem in the church. Huge problem. People are not seeking first the kingdom. But Jesus said, if you seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, all these things, all the things you need in life will be added to you. On one occasion, Sir Walter Raleigh was asked by Queen Elizabeth I to go on a, a, a voyage around the world in pursuit of this, that, and the other for her kingdom. He said, Madam, I am more than happy to serve you and to go on this great errand, but what of my family? While I'm away, what of my children? And she said, you look after my business, and I look after yours. The reason God's not looking after your business is because you're not looking after God's business. He's not first. You're first. And he's somewhere other than first. And my friend, you can't really get his blessing. It can't happen. You can go to church. You can be in meetings. You can know the Bible, Greek, Hebrew. You can do the whole jolly lot. But if he's not first... You'll not know the empowering of his spirit. You'll not know the realm of the supernatural. You'll not hear the voice of God. It'll all be quite distant to you. Because the kingdom shows up and is demonstrated in the life and the heart of the person who seeks first the kingdom and the king. Where your motive is in life, I want nothing but the will of God. I have no ambitions, whatever in life, only that I do the will of God, whatever that may be, wherever it may take me, 
That's the only ambition I have. I'm not taken with anything else. And my friends, when God is your focus, when God and his will and his purposes and his son and his spirit and his kingdom is first and foremost in your heart and life every day, my friends, God will provide everything you need in life. There was a man in the 1800s. He was brought up in a business home where he heard, I believe it was D.L. Moody, in his father's home. He came under conviction of sin and came to the Lord, and his father's great estate was used for the preaching of the gospel. But as he got older, he had a huge business to take on along with his brother, and they were doing very well in business, and it was a time of great poverty. But God was working in their home and their lives, and his brother came into a real deep place with God where he'd really give his life to Christ, that God would have his way in his life, and he started having meetings. And this brother called George, John George, came along to the meetings. And one night in those meetings, as God was wrestling with John, as he sat in the meeting and his heart as a Christian was sitting and God was saying to him, John, I want you to give me everything. But Lord, I could be a businessman. Lord, I could succeed in this. And he had all his things that he wanted to do in his life. And the Lord said, give me your life. Yield it to me. See what I can do. And he wrestled inside over his life and over what he would do with his life. And eventually the Spirit of God prevailed and he fell out onto the floor in the middle of the aisle as he was asked to close in prayer and he gave his life unreservedly to Christ. And that was maintained in his life as he gave himself and he simply asked the Lord to fill him with the Holy Spirit and God filled that young man with the Holy Spirit and he got this amazing burden from the Holy Spirit to lead men and women to Christ and he went all over Scotland with other young people preaching the simple gospel and the message of the fullness of the Holy Spirit and God began to work mightily through his life and over time multitudes of people came to Jesus Jesus Christ, his name was John George Govan, the founder of the Faith Mission. In the early 1900s, the same spirit that had come upon him took hold in Ireland. God began to lay hold on young people in Ireland, and they also dedicated their lives completely to Jesus Christ, and the Spirit of God took hold of them. And young girls went round in their teens preaching the gospel, and strong men wept as they heard the gospel, and God turned and moved in this province and district through the work of the faith mission in those early days. One life given to God. You say, how, how significant was that night in the 1800s? Well, my mother came to the Lord through the faith mission and taught me the way of salvation and encouraged me toward it. The man who led me to Christ the late Reverend Sam Workman was a faith mission pilgrim who labored years in preaching the gospel. I ended up in the faith mission for a year. My wife came under conviction through the prayers of a faith mission 
prayer union in the Hebrides in Scotland. Got converted and went into the Lord's work, and then we met. My friends, the influence of a life given to God is impossible to compute. Impossible. One man give everything unreservedly to God and kept it on the altar and give God everything every day of his life and the Holy Spirit kept filling him and the influence is with us to this day. Seek first the kingdom. Jesus talked about the kingdom and mentioned many parables. One of the things he said about the kingdom was it was like leaven. Leaven. It spreads. <laughs> it spreads. You know, put the leaven into the bread and it spreads through the whole bread. My friend, we have just finished such an illustration of a man who gave all. Look how it spread. Look how it spread. Have you given God everything? Have you? Well, then we come to John chapter 3 and verse 3 where Jesus said, Except a man be born again. He cannot see the kingdom of God. Here Jesus is talking about entering into the kingdom. In other words, he's talking about becoming a Christian. Now forget about the baptism whenever you're a child. You know, I, I have no problem if you want to do that or if that has been done, it was done to me. It'll, it'll make you wetter but no better. The Bible's explicit in the New Testament that those that believed were baptized. Those that believed were baptized. Now listen, I'm not against any mother or father dedicating their child or having their child. I'm not against it. But what I'm saying is that it won't bring you into the kingdom and it won't make you an inheritor of the kingdom. Jesus said, you must be born again. He said there has to be something as radical as a birth to take place if you're ever going to be in heaven. If you're going to be in this wonderful kingdom under the government of God. And my dear friends, I want to tell you that if you're not under the government of God, that you're under the, under the government of Satan. He that believeth not is condemned already, the Bible says. You sit in this meeting tonight, you say, Alan, I don't feel condemned. You don't need to feel it. The fact remains, as God looks down, as angels look down, as demons look on, they know that you're condemned. You say, I don't feel it. You don't feel it because you're dead in trespasses and sins. You ever go to a coffin and hit a boy a slap on the face and look for a response? You'll not get it. He's dead. An unsaved man, an unsaved woman, they're dead to God. They're cut off from God. There's no communication with God. They're dead in trespasses and sins. He that believeth not is condemned already. But I want to tell you that God wants you to be in his kingdom. 
And Paul, when speaking to the church, he said, you know, as he spoke to one of the churches, he said, a wonderful thing has happened in your lives. He said, you have been translated from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God's dear son. That has happened. That happened to me almost 40 years ago. Translated from the kingdom of darkness, being a brat of the devil, to becoming a child of God and being born again of his spirit. Say, well, Alan, I don't quite understand it. Well, you wouldn't be the first one if you didn't understand being born again. Because when Jesus first spoke these words to a religious man, the man said, I don't quite understand, Jesus, what you're talking about. But he said, listen, does this mean that I have to go into my mother's womb again? You see, friends, the things of the Spirit to the man who's unconverted, they don't understand. They don't understand. And the Bible tells us they don't understand. The Bible says the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them because they're spiritually discerned. That's why you have no desire for a prayer meeting. You have no desire. My friend, you have as much desire to pray as I would have to fly to the moon and Mars tonight. That's because the Spirit of God's not in you. Those desires toward holiness and purity and loving God are not in you because God is not in you. But if God came to live inside you, you would find that these desires would rise up in you and you would be like that young man that knelt in the aisle way back a hundred or a couple of hundred years ago. And you would love Jesus and you'd want to follow him if he lived inside you. Because he said, I will never leave you, I will never forsake you. I couldn't live the life I live. I couldn't do the things I do if I didn't know every day and every night of my life that there's one who lives inside me who's stronger than me, who's God Almighty, and I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And I can accomplish things in my life that I could never otherwise accomplish because God is with me. Do you have that? And if I put my head down on the pillow at night, it doesn't really matter if I wake in the morning. I'm not really concerned about it because I know that if I die, I'll be absent from the body and present with the Lord in heaven, not in the grave, not lying in the grave, in heaven, with Christ. You got that hope? Religion won't give it to you. Listen, I have been baptized, catechized, gone to church, done the list, I have done it. I'll not give you the life of Christ. You must be born again. You must be born again. Before I was born, I had no communication with this world. We don't have communication with the world before we're born. <laughs> you have to be born into the world. And when I was born into the world, thank God, I had all my five senses. I could see, and I could hear, and I could smell, and I could touch, and I could taste. And all those senses over time began to develop. But when I was born, immediately they put a wee tag on me. Just like what they do with a wee calf. Although they didn't stamp it on me. But they put a wee tag on you. And they say who your name. And one of the first things is they put on the surname. Because it takes a while for the parents to get the Christian name. And they put on my surname, Barclay. Son of... Immediately, I was identified with a family. And immediately, I was under the responsibility of my mother and father. And they took me home. And they brought me around. And they said, this is our son. 
This is our child. He was born on such and such a date. I had to be born to be in this world. I had to be born into this world to have a father and a mother and someone that cared for me and knew all about me and someone I could trust. Well, Jesus said, in like manner as you're born into this world, you need another birth. And he said that other birth will give you new senses. That birth will give you a new father. That birth will give you a new home. And the moment I was born again, my friend, I knew that the Lord had become my father. And that's why I can bow and say, our father. I used to say it before, but he wasn't my father. I was a brat of the devil. And there's many a one who's bowed their head in church if there's a church open. Many ones would bow their head and they would say, our father. He's not your father. He's not your father. You can't say, my father, our father, which art in heaven. Not at all. He's not your father. I used to go down to uh, Lisbon maybe 10 years ago. We used to do open airs. And whenever my children were quite small, they used to come down to their mother while I was preaching, and they would run over to me, and they would catch my coat, and they would shout up. They weren't that good at the speaking then. They're good now at it. But they would say, sweets, sweets, sweets. And they would catch my coat. And being as liberal as I was, I would probably give them 10p each. Don't spend it all together. But I would give them what was in my pocket. But do you see if all the children in Lisbon had come to me and said, sweets, 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 I'd have said, away you go. You're not mine. You're not my children. And people bow before God and say, our father, he's not your father. He's not your father. The Bible says you are of your father, the devil, and the lusts of your father you will do. You need to be born again for God to be your father. And whenever you are born again, the Holy Spirit will enter you and you'll get a new family and a new father and a new birth. And my friend, that birth will not be written by a wee tag by a nurse, but it'll be written by angels in heaven. And heaven will go ecstatic with joy when you're born again. You ever born again? My dear friends, when you're born again, you'll not only know it, but boy, you'll show it. You'll show it. Boy, people will see. People say to me, oh, well, how many people are saved? If you're doing how many people are saved? I say, I don't know. No idea. Well, I heard those people put their hand up. <laughs> yes, I, did. I know they did. And so many people maybe sought the Lord, 10 sought the Lord, but give it a year to see who's saved. Not everybody that puts their paw up saved. It's not what we do externally. It's receiving Jesus into our heart and into our life and being born again. And God's nature born inside us. My friend, whenever I was born again as a 17-year-old and received Christ, I didn't need to be told to go to a prayer meeting. I just went. I got an appetite for the Bible. I got a fistful of tracts. I hardly could have quoted a verse of the Bible. And I used to walk around the village of Moy with tracts on a Sunday afternoon. Didn't know what I was doing. But what I did know was that God had come into my life and other people needed him too. I knew that. Except you be converted, the Bible says, and become as little children, you shall in no wise enter the kingdom. You become as a little child to come to the kingdom. What is a little child like coming to the kingdom? 
God says, when you're coming to the kingdom and when you're in the kingdom, he said, you're like a wee child. You come with humility. <laughs> you know, humility is a rare thing today. Everybody knows everything. Everybody's a know-all. My son pointed out to me one time a couple of years ago, you know, when you see on the news, if there's somebody falls and they fall into a drain on the news and they break their leg, he says inside two minutes, they'll have somebody up on the news, a specialist for people falling into drains. They've always specialists for everything. And that's true. I've watched that. Everything that happens, there's somebody that they've kind of specialized in that. I don't know where they get them from. Everybody's a know-all. Let me tell you, if you are a know-all, you're not operating too well in the kingdom. Because humility is one of the primary marks of the kingdom. You come dependent. You come and say, God, I know nothing. And for that reason, I'm so weak and vulnerable, I give myself to you. And I come just as a sinner, just coming that I'm broken and that I'm guilty and I have broken your law and I have sinned in word and in thought and in deed and I've stole and I've lied and I've cheated and I've unclean thoughts and I'm filthy in my mind and my heart's as black as sin. And if other people could see what went on inside my mind, I'd be ashamed. And you come to him just as you are with all your sin. You say, Alan, that sounds very like me you were talking about. I. Do you know how I know that's you? Because the Bible tells me that's you. And the word of God is true. All have sinned and come far short of the glory of God. Wonder, my friend, as we close. I wonder, is the Holy Spirit speaking to you? I wonder, as you sit here in this meeting, or maybe those who are listening, I wonder, in your heart of hearts, do you sense, Alan, I hear a voice in the depth of my heart beyond your voice. And there's something inside me that resonates, that rings true to what you're saying. I don't understand it all, but what you're saying I believe is true, that that is the state of my heart and that I do need God in my life. You see, friends, there are times in our life when the Holy Spirit strives with us, when God comes near and speaks. And the Bible says, Seek ye the Lord while he is near. Call ye upon him while he is near. He says, let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return to the Lord and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. You see, whenever God is speaking to a person and whenever the Holy Spirit is drawing near, then that person has opportunity to be saved. You can't come when you want. You can only come when he's calling. Is he calling? One night in the meetings here afterwards, a lady, a lady came back and she said, God is knocking. Jesus is knocking. That's a good sign. That's a good sign. You know, there was a man in the Bible and he was religious. 
And he came to Jesus in one of the Gospels and he said to Jesus, what are God's greatest commandments? And Jesus gave him the answer to love the Lord and thy neighbor as thyself. And he said of a truth, that's, that's really right. And Jesus said these words to that man. Thou art not far from the kingdom of God. Jesus said, you're nearly there. You're nearly there. Not far from the kingdom. There was a man born in 1703. Till he was 35 or thereabouts. He lived in a manse where his father was a clergyman. The people didn't like him. And if you think things are going bad today, think of this poor, poor old clergyman that didn't like his preaching, so they burnt the manse down. Wasn't good. <laughs> and they nearly burnt the wee boy inside. But the wee boy was saved in 1708. And they got him rescued. And the mother said about him, he's a brand plucked from the burning. God must have a special purpose for that wee boy. And so he did. The devil tried to take the wee boy. But the Lord had a plan. And in May the 24th, In the mid-1700s, this little boy went to, had grown up and become a young man, went to be a missionary. It didn't work out for him. And he said in his journal, he said, I went to be a missionary to the Indians and to get them converted. But he said, alas, who will convert me? He was a Church of England minister. <laughs> he said, I am going to convert the people, but alas, who will convert me? Wasn't it good that he woke up that he wasn't converted? You can be a clergyman and not be converted. You can be a clergyman and on your way to hell. Alas, who will convert me? And he got speaking to a boy called Peter Bowler, the Moravians. And he told him about the way of Christ, that it was by faith alone in Christ, that if he would repent of his sin and receive Jesus just by an act of faith and believe what Jesus had done for him on the cross, that when Jesus had died, he had bore all his sins and God had put all his wrath on his son Jesus for that young man's life. And he taught him it and explained it to him, but he couldn't quite grasp it. And Bowler said to him, you preach it until you get it. That was good advice. Preach it till you get it. And in his diary, he said, I got up and I preached in this church and that church. And at the end of every account, he said, and I was asked at the end never to come again. <laughs> so he must have been preaching it well. But he hadn't got it himself. And then on that wonderful date, in Aldersgate, London, he said, I went into a gathering where one of the men were reading, he said, from Luther's, one of Luther's extracts or uh, his uh, preface to the Romans. And he said, as I had gone to that meeting just prior to going, I opened my Bible before I went into that meeting. And he said, this verse struck me. Thou art not far from the kingdom. John Wesley, founder of Methodism. He said, I went to the meeting that night knowing that God had spoken. Thou art not far from the kingdom. I had preached it, got into trouble with it, 
but I'm not far from it. And he said, I went that night to the gathering, and when he read the preface, he said, I felt that I did trust Christ and Christ alone for salvation. And he said, a witness was given unto me that I had turned from death unto life. And that young man who was converted to Christ became the man who, who went on horseback over a half a million miles up and down the land of England, Scotland, Wales, America, and Ireland. And he led, my friends, the country to God. And by his death in the late 1700s, such was the power and blessing of the gospel on England, Scotland, Wales, and Ireland, that when the revolution came to France, that Britain wouldn't go into revolution. Because the gospel kept the people right with God. And they didn't take the king and the queen and cut their heads off. Thou art not far from the kingdom. What about you tonight? What about you tonight? Oh, my dear friends, you can be near the kingdom and not in the kingdom. You can be almost persuaded, but lost. Many years ago, I conducted missions around the Balamina area. I went from one area to the next, just as often happens. Those who are in mission work know what it's like. And opportunities open, and you just... And people follow you, and they come with you wherever you're preaching. And I did missions for a couple of years in that area almost every month. And there was a man came along, and he came to every meeting for a long period, months on end. He came. He always sat at the back. He was probably in his late 60s. He was quite red-faced. And he sat there every night at the back, and I preached to Christians. I preached to unsaved. It made no difference. He came night after night and never missed. But I was doing meetings in a particular place on this particular night. I felt a strong urge to hold his hand going out on the closing night and said to him, what about you? What about getting saved? He was somewhat embarrassed and pulled his hand away and slipped out. Afterwards, one of his friends who I was talking to a few weeks later, he said, you know, he said, Alan, he's really thinking about it. He's really thinking about it. And he's going to go to your mission in Bali. You're having a mission in Bali, Balamina, and he's going to go to it. He has told me and he'll get saved. Weeks passed, and on the Sunday afternoon, I arrived at Bali along with the man who was organizing it, and we opened the door to walk in early for the meeting. And just at that, as the door was opening to walk in, a hearse was going slowly past, and people walking behind it. My friend who had invited me to the mission said to me, Alan, do you remember that boy that sat all the time at the back of your meetings? Do you remember that boy that went all the time? He never quit. I said, I do. He said, that's him. That's him. Died suddenly two nights ago. 
Bali missions starting now. But the hearse is just going past the door now. Did he get into the kingdom? I don't know. I hope he did. But he said to his friend, he said, Alan, when Bali, or to my friend, when Bali comes, he said, I'll be there. I'll come to the Lord in Bali. But the hearse went past Bali. Almost cannot avail. Almost is but to feel. Sad, sad, that bitter wheel. Almost, but lost. Some of you tonight, as I close, your souls are truly in the balance. Some of you. And your eternal destiny is hanging in a way it never has before. And angels are pulling for you. And God is pulling for you. And the people of God and the prayers of God's people are all pulling for you. But I want you to know that the devil is pulling for you. And dark demons that are around you and maybe even in you are pulling for you as well. And you're in the battle of your life. And God simply says to you at this occasion, choose life. God says, I can't force you into the kingdom. But I invite you to come. The door is open. I have given my son. He was sacrificed for your sin. He died and rose again. And if you come to him, as a lost sinner, he'll forgive you. He'll give you eternal life. And the kingdom of God will begin to govern and reign in your life.